It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. It's one o'clock here live, and we that always means that we are here uh, to talk about talent and to talk to really talented people who maybe have something that they can share with us that we can learn from. And that's really kind of how this show began, that I had for years been spending my time in conferences and, and talking and getting people to maybe have a call with me and to learn what was making them tick. What were they worried about? What were they thinking about? What were the books that they were reading? And this show's kind of turned into an opportunity for everyone else to listen in on that conversation and be able to hopefully learn something. And, you know, much like uh, you might want to, to do, might want to ask someone this questions, you actually can. So we live tweet uh, the show uh, on Twitter. You can follow at PeopleG2 or the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. Uh, typically, Angela is the one doing that, but today we have Tina popping in as a substitute uh uh, Twitter, and uh, hopefully she can keep up with us today. But we will be putting all the best uh, one-liners, the best comments, links to books, links to profiles, uh, so that you can keep the conversation going with our guests, with me, uh, and let us know what you think. Now, we've had so many wonderful stories uh, come from, from this show. A lot of them went into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. You can find that wherever you, you buy your books on Amazon or wherever it may be. But, you know, we've really been talking about uh, COVID and remote work and, and so much of that over the last year. In fact, uh, I have a book coming out here at the end of May, uh, and it's called Remote Work. So if you want to pre-order that book on Amazon, now is the time to do it. Uh, don't forget to, to be a part of the conversation. And uh, also make sure to subscribe. So you can be found on our podcast after the live show is done on, on Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, wherever you find your podcast, we're there, talenttalkradio.com. If you subscribe, that makes sure that you always get reminded when a new uh, interview is up. Um, and so, you know, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and talk about who's on the show this week. Uh, my guest on the show will be Joe uh, Patterson, founder of the Vested Group and Forbes Books author, The Big Commitment, Solving the Mysteries of Your ERP Implementation. After the commercial break, we'll bring in uh, Jason Barger, uh, Step Back Leadership Consulting and founder. Um, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest, Joel. Welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? You know, what's what's important for us to know about you, and of course, let us know, you know, kind of what your what you do, what your company does, and the type of work that you tend to to focus on. 
Sure. As the, as the book title says, we are in ERP consulting and most people don't know what that is and that's perfectly fine. It's another acronym for the IT world, but really what we do is we work with companies that are looking to grow their business uh, or maybe go into new service lines and know that the software that runs their company isn't supporting them. And so we go in and, and work with them to define what their future state is going to look like. And we work with an Oracle product called NetSuite that um, can run their entire organization. And, and our job is to make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, today, I know we're talking a lot about culture, and, and I, I, I'd say that uh, our organization is definitely a culture-first company. Uh, we work in an industry that is really challenging. You know, when we go in and do these implementations, um, it is – it's very difficult. You know, I mean, we're changing everything for a company and everybody's job is going to change. And so there's a lot of, uh, of upset people a lot of times, right? Because most people don't like change. And so for us, having a solid culture for our consultants to rely upon is extremely important to keeping them engaged. So as you go into think about change, what, what, what's the first thing that you have to really identify or figure out if you're, you're going to be successful in the long run in implementing that change? Well, the first step is just admitting you have a problem, right? I mean, and, and, and being able to identify that and tell people, hey, this is going to be hard. Uh, no matter what you were told when, when somebody sold you something, going through an entire overhaul of your infrastructure like this is very difficult. And knowing that going in really kind of sets the stage. And so then as you're going through the project, you got to make sure you're continuing to touch base with those people. Uh, let them know that that struggle is okay. We have this thing we call the, the valley of despair. And, um, and really, it's just a change curve. And, and again, recognizing that people are going to sink into that valley at some point during the project and get frustrated and, and angry. Um, but know that if you stick with it and you follow the process and believe that you're going to get through it. And our job is to mitigate some of that risk and pave the way for them to get there and, and let them know that it is possible and they will be successful long-term. So a, a lot of change management processes start, you know, with somebody defining value, someone saying, this is what we're really about. Right. And, and sometimes it's, it's well done. It's intentional. Sometimes it's a bunch of lip service with some words thrown up on a wall, right? So it, how do you kind of define what core values really are? And, and, and to that point, like, what are you seeing inside of organizations? Is this something that they're, that they're doing a really good job of being in tune with and being aligned with, or is it more of the lip service? And that's, you know, ca causing some of the issues that you're having that, that need the change. You know, I think it's, it's uh, the, the tide is shifting, but there are still a lot of companies out there that don't, either they don't believe or they haven't taken the time or they just don't know what to do. Um, but, you know, if you look back in the last 20 years and things like mission statements and core values and things, they've unfortunately been um, thrown around with a little too much, uh, a little too often, I guess, and don't necessarily have the oomph behind them that they need. And what we've tried to do is, is really take those seriously, define them in ways that people understand and that make sense and are simple to understand. Uh, we've defined six core values in our company. Uh, our first one, own it all in, give them your shirt, enjoy the ride, 
always do the right thing and remember that failure results in learning. And each one of those has a, you know, a description as to what that means, but we live and breathe them. Uh, our hiring process includes those core values so that we can ask value questions while we're talking to the recruit, as well as our firing decisions. We've, we've taken it to the point where if we don't, if we, if that person does not live up to those values, then that is a fireable offense. Um, now, obviously there's a lot of steps in, in between to, to get to that point, but you have to believe them and, and, and talk about them and make sure that they're constantly in people's consciousness or they will just be a, a picture on a wall. And that's not going to really do any good for anybody. Well, one of the things that I hear when you listed your core values was they were very specific, right? They were unique. There were some things in there I'd never heard before, like the, you know, get the shirt off your back kind of a thing, right? That, uh, you know, you can tell that they were thought about and that they were intentional. I've done a lot of work with companies that go in and they'd be like, yeah, our core values are trust. And, you know, these very like generic words, right? And these are also the same companies that are saying right now, we've got to get our people back in here. They just can't possibly work and collaborate, you know, remotely. And obviously their trust was means, well, we could see you. We knew you were here. We didn't really trust you. We just trust our ability to, to watch you. Right? Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and they weren't really tied, right? And so they just disconnect. Um, to the values, right? For sure. And, and another piece that we really play that plays into this even more importantly is our purpose. And the purpose of our company is what we call best job ever. And what we're trying to do is, is we want people when they are retired someday and they're talking to their grandkids about their career and their grandkids says, Hey, well, tell me about the best job you ever had. We want them to talk about their time here. And, and that means something different for each, each person, right? And, and, and what, we actually need to do to keep them engaged and, and motivated. But those values support that. And, and, and they allow us to be able to really have any conversation that we need. You know, one of the values that is, is most difficult for us to really dive into is the, is the remember that failure results in learning, but it's the most important as far as I'm concerned. Um, my, my company, The Vested Group, this is the second company that I've founded. And my first company, we, we did really well early on for five, six, seven years and, and took off. And it really did well because the owners were able to be involved in the culture. But as we grew, we didn't have a plan to support that. We, we didn't really know what to do with it as people became virtual. And when I started this company, it was from day one, hey, I, I, I learned. I learned that that is not the right way to do it and that this is the most important thing. And we built our, our, our focus and our goals around that. And it served us really well in a, in a tough industry. So, you know, I know you're sort of uh, on the on the technical side and you're you're going in and providing, you know, a particular technological approach into a change management system or to get people, you know, the help that they need. But do you think there's something that w we need to think about doing on, on that side of it around culture, around social media, about, you know, the intentionality of how is it the things that the technology and the, you know, the I guess the non-human parts, right? This is not HR supporting culture. This is how, how does the technical side of it support culture from your perspective? Yeah, it definitely does. And I think the, the mistake that some companies make is that they think just implementing new technology is going to solve their problems. And really, it still takes the people behind the scenes to make it happen. I'll give you a good example. Um, we use Slack very extensively in our organization. Mm -hmm. And we also use Tiny Pulse. Um, which is, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's an HR tool. It provides a lot of different things. But one of the things that it does is it creates a Slack channel for us called Cheers for Peers. 
And what that allows you to do is you can, you can at any time, if you are working with one of your colleagues and, and they exemplify a core value that you want to share with the rest of the, of the company, you go in there to that Slack channel and you can do a cheers for peers for them. You reference the, uh, the, the value that you saw and you give an example and the whole company sees it. And it, it's, it's a very simple thing, but I can tell you even just today, there's been three or four of them. It happens every single day. And it's a very simple way to make sure that those values are continuing to be in the consciousness, in the conversation. And it allows you, especially in this time of COVID, to stay connected with people. It allows you to see what they're working on, what they're doing, how they're going above and beyond. Um, you know, out of those Slack communications, additional conversations will happen. Uh, and for us, what we've done, I think it's really creative, is every time that somebody gets that, uh, a cheer is we have a sticker that represents that core value and we take that sticker and we put it on our laptop and it's kind of like, you know, Ohio state and has their wins on their, on their helmet um, with stickers. It's the same thing. And what that does is it allows us to, I've got stickers on my laptop and I can't tell you how many times if I'm at the airport or if I'm working with a prospect, uh, they'll ask me about them and it gives us an opportunity to continue to talk about our culture because that's really, you know, we're in consulting and what we're, our product is really our people. And so it allows us to, to talk to uh, customers about how we invest in those people and, and make sure that we keep them, them close. And it, it really starts with the technology piece. So it's all important, but you still have to have the intention on the other side from the, per, the people. So I would like to kind of break this down a little bit for those that are listening, because this is really, really important. Um, you know, we, we use a similar type thing in our company. We use Slack and we have just a water cooler room and that's where we go and we do it. And I love the sort of uh, addition that you've added on, right, which is to really go back and, and have, have these stickers and have some way to, to additionally celebrate it for the long term. But I think what's important for people to remember is there was a specific place on a specific technology. There's a specific way to do it and anyone can do it, right? This is not top down. This is not my manager had to tell everyone else I did a good job. This is anyone can nominate anybody. And so you've removed that hierarchy, removed all of the power and the politics and the bus, butt kissing and all of that by making this a flat thing, right? That's anyone can nominate anybody for, for exemplifying this, right? You've identified what's important and, and now you're, you're celebrating it. Uh, and I think that's really awesome. And, and kudos to you guys for adding on that extra element of adding it to your computer so that when COVID's over and you're going to see more people, all right, it's a conversation starter. And then they can know more about you. I think that's, that's super important, which I find those types of programs to be far more beneficial than rewards-based programs. are going to give out some Starbucks card or we're going to take a tally of how many times you got mentioned and you get five points or something. Like it gets gamed, it gets forgotten. This is far more memorable, I think, the way that you, you guys have decided to approach it. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, you know, you're, you're right. It's not, I've never even thought about it as a way for somebody to, to kiss up at all. Um, to be honest with you, I probably get fewer cheers than just about anyone else because I'm not in the weeds with, with, with right. a lot of the people that I work with. And that's great. I love that. Um, I don't need, I don't need the accolade. I like it just like anybody does. I feel good about it when I, when somebody says that, but I sure love giving them out too. You know I mean? Yeah. It's, it's cause it's, it allows me to interact with people that I don't get to necessarily interact with a lot. And so if I find myself in a meeting with them and they ask a good question or whatever, it just, you know, there's just always reasons to give somebody a pat on the back. And I think in, uh, in COVID culture, 
it's even more important that we find ways to to do that and to to make sure people feel validated and and that they're recognized for the efforts that they're putting in because you you mentioned earlier about you know companies that didn't have a culture and that hadn't focused on culture and yeah they got to be hurting right now um, but it doesn't change the fact that companies like ours that have focused on culture you know our people are still hurting too you know and we want to really go above and beyond to make sure that they know that we're out there we care um, we, are, we are interested in what's going on in your daily life. And if there's anything that we can do to, to support you, uh, let us know. And, and it really gives us the, the, the avenue to do that. Right. And just to say it again, people just want your attention. They just want that pat on the back. They want that, hey, this was something that I saw that you really did well. Uh, this connects to what we're trying to do. And of course they want, hey, this is what you could maybe do better next time. Where, where can you, you know, improve? But you know, we spend so much time worrying about how do we give feedback to people when really what they want most is what am I, where am I doing well? Right. And, and, and how did I do well and recognizing that they did well and making it public, right. At, at some level, that's not, it's not pulling some up on the stage and everybody wants to be brought in front of the room, but at least there's some level of, it, it can be seen across the organization so that they, you know, there's that level of people can know that they're good at this thing. If somebody needs someone to do that thing, well, I know Susie keeps getting this award for that. I'm going to bring them into this project or into this, you know, client meeting or whatever it may be. So uh, yeah, I just want to kind of reiterate that for anyone who's listening, because it's a super important point. They're simple things and they're subtle, but they're hugely important. And I think most recognition programs gloss over it because it's, they want you to buy gift cards from the company so they can make money or they want, so other part of this just isn't working. So yeah, those $5 gift cards, they just sort of slip into somebody's pocket and you don't really even, you don't even think about it. And yeah, um, yeah it, it even goes back to pay, right? And how, what is, what is salary? How does that play into culture and, and how people feel? And, and by no means is salary is important, right? It is, it is absolutely important, but it is a data point. You've got to make right. sure that your your people are paid equitably. They feel valued that way, but then they can move on. And it's all this other stuff that really makes a difference. You, you're not going to be able to get away with underpaying people because you know you're, you're investing in something else. Not in my in my business, at least. And I don't want to. I want to pay people what they deserve. Um, but I don't really want that to be the main conversation. And and especially in hiring, and you know that that unfortunately becomes a big part of it. Well, you wrap that with everything else that we've got going on, and and all of a sudden the picture looks much different as they're making their decision. Yeah. I always thought those companies that do like, here's a 1% salary increase each year or some like tiny thing. It's like, you don't even notice it on your check. You don't feel good from that. Right. No. They'd be better off like handing you that 1% in the middle of the year for some random reason as a bonus, if that's what they wanted to do. And even that I think is misplaced, but like, how do you even notice 1% on your check? It just, it, yeah, it, it kind of comes down to the jelly of the month club with, <laughs> with Clark right. Griswold, right? Right, right. Like, how is this helpful to me? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you've, you've, you've hit on the recognition part. You've hit on the values uh, part as well. But what else should we be thinking about uh, from a culture focus, especially maybe during the interview process? Well, I'll tell you that, um, I mean, you've got to hire for culture fit and drive first. Um, obviously, you're looking for, for skills, but you've really got to make sure that they fit the culture. Otherwise, they're, they're going to flame out. And, and I found that in really strong cultures, good, strong cultures, 
the culture sort of takes care of the people that accidentally get in that aren't a fit, right? And not in a bad way. There's nothing wrong with them necessarily. It just means that it's not for them and that's okay. And the culture kind of weeds those, those people out. But you've really got to put the extra effort into the, the front end interview process. We do this thing called a Sunday test that we ask people to, 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 uh, to think about when they're interviewing candidates. And that is if this person is sitting across from you, came to work here, and they uh, called you on a Saturday night and said, hey, I've got this deadline. I really need your help tomorrow on Sunday. Can you come into the office and help me out? How are you going to respond? And that is a, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be different for everyone. And you're just interviewing this person. You don't really know them, but you got to trust your instinct here because you know the types of people that you're trying to bring in. You know what works and what doesn't. And, and really think about that. Do they pass the Sunday test? And if they do, then, yeah. then they'll move on to the next, the next round. But, but, um, but sometimes you just get that feel that this person is in it for a different reason. And that's not going to work here. Yeah. And, and some people are really good at talking the talk. I mean, you know, okay. they can say that they agree with that, but then, you know, can they give you an example right in the past? Can they, can they demonstrate that this is something they've done on a consistent basis uh, at their job or their past jobs. I mean, that's, that, that's where I find people struggle sometimes if they're not quite that person, if they're not quite aligned. It's, yeah. you know, if I, yeah, if you I can... said, you know, if, if I was working this weekend, and really needed someone, would you help me out? Oh yeah, sure. I would. But then when you hire them, they're like, you know, nowhere to be yeah. found. It's like when somebody asking you to move, help you move. <laughs> yeah, of course I, I mean, would help you. Oh, this I mean, Saturday. No, I'm busy. Yeah. You have a truck, right? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be different by person, but I think that people understand the concept and, and it allows you to get to some of those behavioral type of questions that are the most important ones to answer as you're going through this. Now, you know, like whenever I interview somebody, I, I rarely talk about their skill set. It's always about fit and, and how they are. Now, there's other people that are going to interview them that are going to really drill into their skill set. And that is important. But I'm not looking for that at all. I really want to know, is this a person that I want to spend time with? Because, you know, one of the things that I, I, I really focus on is, is this concept of work-life balance. And I hate that term because I think it implies that one is good and one is, the other one is bad. And that's not, the, that's, not the, that's not reality, right? Nobody really is able to completely turn off the, their job when they go home and vice versa. I mean, if you have a bad day at home, you're probably going to have a bad day at work. And recognizing that is a big part of our culture as well, that, that hey, um, I'm not asking you to work a million hours, but I want to know that you're doing okay personally um, and, and not into their, their details or anything, but just knowing that they're, they're, they're they're managing okay, because I know that that is going to keep them more engaged and more productive at work as well. And it's just the right thing to do. And so if you recognize that it's not taboo to get to know somebody personally and care about them, um, that, you know, that, that is actually part of making sure that you, you've got a culture that works. Um, and I think a lot of times people, especially with this uh, kind of world of compliance HR compliance that we've, we've fallen into these days, they worry about being able to ask um, some of those questions or get to know somebody personally. And I, I completely disagree with that. There's a way to do it without being invasive, but it's important to have that personal connection to really know whether or not this person's going to fit. And, and to know if they're going to fit, I think it often will take more than, you know, just speaking to one manager who's maybe the direct reporter, maybe just the senior team. I and mean, what are your thoughts on maybe having the candidate really interact with, with the everyday staff uh, and people that they're going to have to work with as a way to, you know, discover if they're going to be a good fit. Yeah. I think, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't. Um, so the way our process is pretty, pretty well defined. And the first thing that we do is we ask people to send us a two minute video uh, that, and we don't give them much instruction. They just, we just say, Hey, tell us why you're a good fit for the vested group. 
And the thing is that's interesting about that is maybe the first couple of times you watch one of those videos, you're not going to gather a lot of information from it. But when you watch a hundred of them, you really see a difference in the candidates and it helps, mm. it helps set the stage and just make sure that they're a good fit for you. And then when we bring them in, we go through several rounds at different levels of people, because in my mind, if that candidate isn't interviewing you as well, then there's something off. You want them interacting with different levels in the organization because it's one thing for me to say what we're about, but it's another for somebody that's been working here six months and somebody that's been working here five years to, to tell you what they see. Making sure that you have the opportunity to interact with them at various levels and making sure that they feel comfortable that the people that we have already um, fit within what their expectations are is just as important. So I would absolutely encourage anyone to let your, your, your staff uh, or your, your recruits talk to different levels of the staff and find a way to, to have a casual setting, whether it's over lunch or something like that, to really be able to have a conversation that's not over a, 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 you know, in a boardroom or something, right. make, take a little bit of the pressure off and allow them to, to kind of free flow. Well, two quick questions. We're almost out of time here. The first is, uh, is there a book that you're reading these days that you might suggest people check out? Well, this isn't, uh, this isn't going to surprise anyone maybe because it's pretty popular already, but I, I'm, I'm almost done with Bill Gates' new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And I got to tell you, that guy, he is, I mean, he's obviously a genius, right? But the way that he's able to take complex scenarios and, and boil it down to something that any of us can understand is really remarkable. And it's a, it's a great read. I'd encourage anybody to take a look at it. And most importantly, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or wanting to work with you? So uh, the company domain is thevested.com or you could go to joelpatterson.com either way. I uh, would love to, to learn about you, your business, what your goals are and, and see where we might be able to help. Well, Joel, thank you so much for being our a great guest today. And sharing some fantastic insights. I'd love to have you come back at some point and share us with us all the cool stuff that your company's doing. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be all here. Right. Look forward to next time. Take care. We're right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in my second guest, Jason Barger. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, don't worry. You can subscribe to our uh, podcast on iHeart, on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast, we're there. Just look for Talent Talk, look for Chris Dyer, and you can subscribe and never miss a show. You can also go to talenttalkradio.com. That's a great place to find all of our past shows, find out more about our guests, and interact with us there. Uh, don't forget, we are live tweeting this. So if you're following along on Twitter, at PeopleG2 or the hashtag Talent Talk. And uh, today, Tina is listing all of the best uh, quotes, uh, links to profiles, links to books, anything important that comes up. 
we're making sure we place it there as well. In case you're driving, in case you can't write it down at that moment, we've stored it for you somewhere else. But all right, let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, who is uh, J- Jason Barger. He is a step back leadership consulting founder. Uh, and uh, well, I guess Jason, Jason, welcome to the show today. Oh, I think you're on mute here. This is the uh, the saying of 2021. I think you're on mute. So there we go. We got gotcha. you. Go How ahead. Welcome, buddy? Jason. Hey. <laughs> How are you, man? Good to be. Uh, good to see you again, man. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah I'm glad to have you here. And uh, looks like uh, maybe your background's changed a little bit. I think everyone's gotten their backgrounds a little bit better these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and you know what kind of work are you doing these days? Yeah, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm a strange guy like you, buddy. I write books, so uh, I've got a number of books. My first book, Step Back from the Baggage Claim. My second book, Remember, and my latest book, Thermostat Cultures. Uh, so I do a lot of writing, speaking, and consulting around leadership development and culture and clarity around mission, vision, and values, and uh, lucky to you know, collaborate and support teams and organizations all over the world. Now, I'm curious if you're like me. I mean, I was doing a lot of culture talks and culture workshops and culture this and culture that. And then, you know, I did 70 remote focused things and I'm, my organization's hundred percent remote. So that was an easy thing, but like kind of the culture stuff and the employee stuff kind of disappeared for a moment. Uh, You know, there's not a lot of leadership and I'm sure there is, but like, wasn't a lot of people calling me for leadership development was, can you help me with my remote team and how to be lead a remote team? So I'm curious if you're yeah. getting sort of that, that filter right out of that lens right now. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the shift that everybody's experienced this last year, it caused everybody to realize, Oh shoot, we've now asked people to be remote, to quarantine, to socially distance. And yet we don't want our teams and our people to be disconnected and disengaged. And so how we develop people and still think about the mindset that we want to bring to leading and then the culture that we're trying to create, even if it is is remotely, but staying connected and aligned around why are we doing this and what are we trying to accomplish together and what direction are we pulling? All of that has had to be even more strategic Mm -hmm. and uh, intentional in this kind of remote environment. So I've seen, I've had actually, uh, it's been totally different. I'm not on big stages and, and keynotes and stuff, you know, like I'm sure you were doing a ton of too, right. uh, but it has shifted to virtually and more and more places realizing, man, we need a strategy of how we engage, develop, and continue to create the culture we want. Now we've seen a, a sort of a lot of, of different uh, things. I think could really happen out of this. I mean, people realize remote work works, I think a lot of companies, a lot of people realize maybe their culture wasn't as good as they thought it was. I often think the word culture gets hijacked for a lot of things. It's not really what it's meant to be. And being a leadership guy, I'm wondering if that term leadership has been hijacked. I mean, is that something you think that we ought to be taking a look at? Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I've been saying that to, to groups all over the all over the world lately is the term leadership has been hijacked. And what I mean by that, and also what I think teams and organizations are experiencing is we've had many, many, many different examples of people that have been in positions of leadership across companies, organizations, uh, governmental positions, you fill in the blank, whoever you picture in your mind that Uh, have been in positions of leadership, but haven't exactly been leading and or compelling people 
aligning and bringing people together, connecting people. And so this term leadership, we throw it around so loosely and say, hey, we need more leadership or next time we wish we would lead better. But yet many teams and organizations are now realizing, hey, we better redefine what is it we mean by authentic and compelling and exceptional leadership because many of the examples uh, maybe that we've been looking at aren't, ex- they might be in positions of leadership, but aren't exactly leading in a way that brings people together. I often find too, the word leadership uh, when I think about it being hijacked is also that it is a black or white statement that it is a, you're either a leader or you're not right. You're either the manager or you're not, you're either this knight in shining armor or not, right. There's whatever the yeah. stereotypical bullcrap sort of idea of what a leader is. And yet I find some of the best leadership is done by people on a part-time basis. It's done by people who are not, would not call themselves a leader. They would not apply to be, you know, the SVP of whatever, right? They're very happy in what they're doing, but they provide leadership every day on small teams and small projects and with clients and driving initiatives. And, And so I don't see a lot of conversation around that softer part or that smaller bit of leadership. And yet it's probably, I think it's of the most important inside of an organization. So how how do you think we should start to foster that or change that perception? Well, I think it starts with redefining what do we mean by, again, that term leadership, because how we think about leadership impacts the way that we show up. And so if what we think about leadership is that old model that, that I heard you even describing, which is that it's only about title or it's about, you know, it's that black and white, am I, do I have the position or do I not, right? It's that, that if that's what you think about leadership is about being at the top of the pyramid and barking out orders and telling everybody what to do behind you, then, then that's the way you'll show up in every room. And yet when we really step back and redefine what does exceptional, compelling, influential leadership it's really people that outside of title, I mean, yes, hopefully by title, they're also leading, but people across, no matter what, everyone is a leader in the sense that somebody's watching how you show up to do what you do and, and taking cues from you on how you do it, no matter what role it is that you play. And the best and studies and research and all this backs this up, that the most influential leaders are the ones that even if they are the one by title that are at the top of the pyramid, they actually flip that pyramid upside down in their own mind and their own heart. And they see that what it means to lead is actually to serve, to support, to put other people in positions, to rally people around a common mission bigger than us. All of those things that don't require a title in order to do. Yeah. And, and that's, I think it's super important. I, I mean, anyone that wants to, you know, help more or lead more, whatever word you want to use I mean, I also found that if you just took on that responsibility, if you just filled in that gap where leadership was needed, people are generally pretty willing to let you do it, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. you can run into a wall every once in a while and you ask for forgiveness, not permission. And that's fine, right? You can navigate that inside an organization. But I've often you know, seen people that want to become a leader, but they never, never fill those gaps or you know, fill in those cracks where they could demonstrate their abilities, get the practice at it, get comfortable with it, learn more, right? And and others, and maybe they're just more extroverted by nature, or whatever, just sort of show up and take over, right? And so they're getting the light shined on them and other people are kind of being left out. And some of my best leaders in my organizations are introverts, right? But we had to, we had to kind of help them 
fill that role in a way that made sense for them, for them to become comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I, again, I think, yeah. I think the best teams and organizations are engaging people of, of, you know, introverts and extroverts and mm-hmm. across functionally across roles in a conversation around what does it mean to truly show up and to lead and, and what does influential and exceptional leadership look like to us? And then yeah. all of us play a role in creating that culture where the, that no matter what your role is, that we all have a, a, how we show up to the work that we do, uh, that becomes the, the air that we breathe within an organization. Yeah, especially with how things are, are going these days and, and maybe our environments are just decided to go 100% massless and all businesses are open. So we're going to see rapidly across the country very big differences on how people are working and living and, uh, you know, what what do you think is is, is a meaningful work environment? Uh, let's say in the in the near term here, right? What does that look like, and what should leaders or what should organizations be thinking about it as they're maybe pivoting a little bit and creating a slightly different culture to kind of adapt to all of that? I I, I love the question. I because I think it's a fascinating thing. Everybody's talking about the future of work right now and trying to imagine what's this going to mean. And and in fact, on on my podcast, the uh, one that I, I host called the thermostat. I just had some researchers from the university of Penn uh, on recently that the amazing research that they had, had done Wes Adams and Tamara miles are their names that did these researchers. And uh, as on my podcast, we talked about this, this amazing research, which they admittedly, you know, they talk about, they went into this research of, of trying to find these main principles and studying all the most exceptional company cultures that that created these amazingly meaningful work environments and they thought they were going to undiscover this secret sauce this something we've never found or ever ever you know uh you know they're gonna they were gonna be the ones the explorers that found the one thing that nobody had thought of and really of course what you and i know and what we all know is what they discovered is meaningful work environments have some of the same principles and no matter what the changing times are uh, some of the same things exist. Like, is there a connection to something greater than, than them? Do people feel a connection to purpose and meaning? Is every person, no matter what role across the company, are they involved in, in playing a participatory role in how, how do we create the culture? And even in discussion about what do we want the culture to become? Are we honoring people in their whole life? You know, thinking about you know, what's important to them outside of work? And are we being creative about comp, you know, comp and benefits and all that, that, that align them with things that matter to them? All of these things that we already know, but they found these kind of 10 principles that, that in many ways you, you sit back and you say, well, yeah, how do we not know this? And it's not that we don't know it, but it's that many teams and organizations just unfortunately haven't gotten great about implementing them, executing them actually living these principles that really it's about proactive and intentionality around creating the culture that we want. I talk a lot about setting the temperature and and creating a thermostat culture. And so it's about that intentionality uh, around, do we even know what that culture is that we want? And then what are those actual things we're going to put into place in order to set that temperature? Yeah. and, And I think that's, you know, uh, I guess it kind of maybe then is a good segue to and this, this idea of a, a thermostat. And so, you know, if we're looking at temperature and we're looking at 
maybe our culture from a thermostat type of an analogy or metaphor, whatever it is, um, you know, how, how do, how do those things, how do those things relate? Do we, do we have different gauges on different things? Um, do you think that people need to be monitoring? I mean, I know in my work, I, I have these seven pillars, right? I think there are seven things that companies always do really well that are great cultures. And it's easy yep. if you say, well, okay, there's the seven. Oh yeah. Number six. We're not so good at that one. Like we really struggle with that one right now. Okay. Well, that's where you put your energy. Right. That's that's uh-huh. the lever. That's the thermostat that's running low. Right. Or maybe it's a gas gauge. Maybe that's a better analogy. I don't know. But like, you know, that's where you can kind of figure out we're OK here. We're OK. here. Oh, this is down. Uh, remote work has made it harder for us to be transparent or harder for us to be have measurement. And OK, how do we fix that? But how do you think companies should be uh, approaching it from a, you know, if we want to shape that culture? Are there different thermostats they should be reading, you know, on a regular basis? Yeah. Well, no, I, the re, I love, I love the image of the thermostat because I think it's really easy for people to quickly get their heads around. And, and in my book, thermostat cultures, I talk about it too many leaders, teams, and organizations get stuck in what I refer to as thermometer thinking, which means if we don't have the first thing we have to have is we have to have clarity around, well, what is the culture that we're trying to create? So on this team or across this entire company, what what is the culture that we want of the way we we think, act, and interact every single day? And when we don't have clarity together on what we want that culture to be of how we show up to do the work that we do, then our thinking is purely reactionary. And so like that thermometer, all it does is react. And every single day, the culture that you experienced is scattered and inconsistent depending on who's in the room and how we're feeling and what externally is happening around us. Right. But the best are the ones that go through that process to begin to understand first, well, we have to know, well, what is the temperature that we want to set? And so rather than just being reactionary, like that thermometer thinking, we've got to be proactive to be able to say, okay, here's the culture that we want, the temperature that we want to set. And then we've got to get like those levers and those measurements that you're talking about. Then we've got to get clear on, okay, how are we calibrating our thermostat? And it doesn't mean we're perfect. So if we begin to get clear about that temperature that we're trying to set in our organization, then we have to return to those, those metrics and be able to say, well, how are we hiring? And are, are we aligned with the way that we're hiring on the way that we're onboarding, the way that we're doing performance evaluations, the way we're recognizing and appreciating our employees, the way that we're de- developing emerging leaders and the way our leadership team embraces the values of the companies. All of those things are examples of we have to return to them and look at how are we doing and how do, then how do we recalibrate the thermostat? And many teams and organizations get great at taking the temperature. We do pulse surveys, employee engagement surveys. We do all these things, which, which, you know, have their place and are important things, but we get really good about taking the temperature and then not doing anything with it. And so once we learn and have feedback from our people, or we look at those measures, those gauges, then the important work is not that we know what the temperature is, but then we intentionally put actions and processes and structures in place to then say, well, what are we together going to do to set a different temperature and calibrate the thermostat to what right. we want? Well, I love that idea because, you know, what are the things we have to do? So the thermostat example, right? Do the things so that we have a good environment, right? We have the right environments at the perfect temperature. It may fluctuate slightly, but what's that generally good temperature? We all can be here and be happy and comfortable in what we're doing. Um, you, you, you could take the opposite, right? Which is that, that 
thermometer is just, is it hot? Is it cold? I mean, you, you could be standing outside uh, in Chicago on one day of the year and it's miserably hot and miserably humid. And another day of the year, it's freezing cold and you're going to die if you don't get inside, right? I mean, if all you're doing is reading what's happening and not impacting what's happening, right? So to take the That's example right. even farther, right? Central air and central heating. And what is the things your organization is doing to directly control what's happening so that people are living inside of this livable band of, what's acceptable, right? Uh, That's perfect, Chris. Like what, you, what you're saying is, is absolutely perfect because those examples, and again, when you referenced a few minutes ago is when this, everything that happened this last year, global pandemic, so, you know, civil unrests, issues of social ju- justice, political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, where are my kids being schooled? All, all of those things collide. Teams and organizations that didn't have clarity around weight not just what we do, but how we're committed to doing it together. All of a sudden they were left then and every, all of their people scattered and isolated and working remotely disconnected. Then they are like you're describing one day, it feels really cold and another day it feels really hot and the temperature just goes up and down. But the teams and the leaders and the companies that had clarity or were already on the journey of finding clarity and committed to, hey, this is the temperature we're going to set, then they were able to say, all right, everything that's happening in the world right now that's out of our control, we can't worry about. We've got to make sure that we focus what is within our control and with each other, and how are we going to respond? What's the temperature we're going to set? Yeah, there's another great place to kind of make another point, which is Think about if you all, when you're doing your job, if all you were, and and every day you show up to your job in, uh, you know, a t-shirt and jeans, right? And a pair of tennis shoes. And every day you don't know what that temperature is going to be. And so what do you spend your time doing? You spend your time looking for a jacket or a sweater, or you find a way to get a pair of shorts or different pair of shoes. Or if, if suddenly your work is raining and you're wearing tennis shoes and not rain boots, you will spend your time trying to figure out how to improve your comfort to change the environment that you're in instead of doing your work instead of doing the things that will help you be successful and your company be successful right you're just spending all of your time trying not to be miserable in that current temperature of whatever that may be and i think that's the part that organizations forget they think people come they have a job that they'll figure it out if they're spending any percentage of their time worrying about that stuff right? It's a problem. And I I think that's why remote work is so great. That's why we're huge fans of it is I take out so many variables by allowing people to be in the environment they want. They have their desk with their thermostat set, how they want it with the food they want and the lack of a commute and all those things have been removed. And all they have to do is worry about how do I do my best work today? Um, yeah. And, and my guess is that you, you've taken some of those, again, the way that we define culture, like you've taken some of those, those uh, you know, tangible things around them, like an office space and work and some of those things out of the equation. And you've, you've allowed them to say, have the autonomy to say, hey, well, what is the temperature that you want in your own r- remote work environment? My, but my guess is also for you all to be successful, you also have some non-negotiable and some clarity mm-hmm. around in this remote working environment. This is how we're going to be most successful together. Right. And this is the temperature that we're going to set of how we show up to do that work together and how we collaborate and how we 
bring out the best expertise in each other, how we lean on each other, how we challenge each other, and how we support each other in these unique times. Yeah. That I'm guessing that you still, even though you're remote, you still have clarity on those things. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And I'll give people an example, like what is a non-negotiable? We highly discourage one-on-one meetings in our organization. Highly discourage them. Now there are certain situations where they need to happen. Um, yeah. But otherwise, why would you get on the phone with just one person, right? Unless there's power, politics, you know, or you're just lazy and slow because if you could meet with two or three people or five people, you can get more ideas. You can get the information moved around the organization faster. You can get, you know, buy-in and, and uh, execution done. You know, if I have a really good idea, I talk to four other people, we brainstorm, we figure it out, and in 15 minutes, we're off to the races. I literally see other organizations, that person has five one-on-one phone calls and then has to go back and have a few more to kind of connect all the dots with everyone. They've gone two or three days. They've got no traction. They've not moved. So we hate that, right? That is like nails on a chalkboard to our organization. We want to team it up, group it up, you know, almost like a sports team. Let's get in the huddle real quick. What play we run? Okay, great. And then we're off and we, and we go. So that's something for us that sets yeah. that temperature, right? Helps us keep the, the right thermostat setting going so that we can be very quick and not waste time on meetings, not waste time, you know, uh, negotiating with five people on five different, you know, conversations. Yeah, no, and that's that's a perfect example for what is right in one place and works really well, but you've got to have clarity because somebody else coming into your environment may have done it differently in another place. And so yeah. you've got to negotiate, okay, well, what is what is the right way that we do it? And so you've found, hey, for us, this is the temperature and this is our commitment of how we're going to communicate and work together. And, and what I'll say to you, and I'm sure you've experienced, which is probably one of the way, reasons what led you to, to that decision is, you know, there's an epidemic within teams and organizations of meeting for the sake of meeting. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we, 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 we kill people death by meeting because everybody, and so part of it is, is, uh, is we have to, to, to realize at the right elevation, are we having the right conversation at the right elevation about the right priority and with the right people involved. Right. And oftentimes organizations, like I do believe there's time and place to have a great one-on-one conversation. But what I hear you saying is let's not just have one-on-one conversations when the right people that are needed to be in the room are three or four other people that are going to raise the priority and raise the conversation to a higher elevation. Right. When, and, and, and it, you know, similarly, we don't want to be talking about somebody else who's not in the room uh, in, in a in a one-on-one conversation when they're down the hall or they're remotely. Right. Like we want to make sure we've got the right people, the right conversation, the right p- priority at the right elevation. Teams and organizations that get better at seeing, okay, how does that work for us and what's the way that we're committed to doing it are the ones that are more effective. They communicate better and then they waste less time like you're talking about. They're often They're often running on the right stuff. Well, I certainly hope that uh, people can check out your book. Uh, where can they find that uh, if they're interested in picking that up? You can uh, all, all the normal book places. I mean, Amazon, of course, jasonvbarger.com. If you just go to Jason V as in Victor, Barger, B-A-R-G-E-R.com, you can check that out and uh, or at Jason V. Barger on social medias. Uh, other ways you can track down and learn stuff. Well, it sounds like that's the best way to get a hold of you as well. So, Hopefully people can track you down if they're interested in having you help their teams 
they want to read more about your books and everything that you're doing. Uh, good luck with the, all of all the great work you're doing in your podcast and uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Chris, great to see you again. Keep up the great work. And uh, thanks to everybody out there who's uh, tuning in. Awesome. Thanks everyone for tuning into today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 